This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Now today our topic on Open That Bible is Reprove, Rebuke, and Exhort. And this comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. And we know, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And if you look at the New King James, it says convince instead of reprove. Uh, but this is our study, looking at those three words, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And we think about, when I think about, uh, for instance, reprove, I think about what, like the, what the New King James there, how it translates it, convince. And the idea here is that we are trying to help those who are in sin to see that they are indeed in sin. And of course, we know that the Bible tells us in Romans 3 and verse 23, who sins, that is, that all have sinned upon short of the glory of God. Now, Landon and Corey, when we, talk, when we think about you know, who sins, you know, how, how can we, you know, when we try to talk with people, let them see that all have sinned, and not just you know, a few or just the most wicked people we can think of, but indeed all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Well, I think when we think about that and look at that, uh, that's the key of any preacher is trying to get people to understand their need for God and, uh, their need, uh, there as a, as humanity who falls short. We all fall short, as you mentioned. Our, our need, uh, to understand we do sin and we need a God to have mercy on us and, uh, give us grace. Uh, because it's so important, uh, to, grasp that concept. I think in today's world, people think they they know sin as far as the understanding that sin is against God, but I think people, for the most part, kind of stop there. And we have a responsibility of trying to convince uh, people that, hey, you know, it's not just good enough to know that sin exists, it's knowing that you sin personally, and that you need to correct that. And uh, so many people uh, today you know, well, a good example is just look at attendance and how many people don't don't put in the effort to uh, attend all the services. And in so doing, Hebrews 10.25, sin. And yet uh, they don't see it that way or they don't look at it like that. And, and it's uh, dangerous. Our job is to try to convince them and show them in scriptures that idea or that truth and prove to them that it is uh, truly a sin. And I think there's sometimes the challenge because people don't want to hear it. But nevertheless, that is the responsibility of the preacher and really all Christians is to get people to understand that sin is a reality. And uh, we have to prove that sin, that the situation that's being discussed is sin, and that we need to uh, have a reaction to it. Yes. Okay, so we think about sin, like Lane was pointing out, we have to help people see that, that sin, is, of course, is very real, that everyone has sinned. And I think about, for instance, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7, verse 20, that says, For there's not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. Uh, everyone has sin. You know, no one is perfect. Uh, we may sin less and less as we grow as Christians, but we all have sinned. And when I, when I think about the idea of reproving someone, 
It's not so much, I think, that you want to necessarily point out their sin, and, you know, you don't want to be pointing fingers, but you want to show them that, first of all, thing is that everyone sins. Everyone has sinned against God, and everyone sins because we are human. We find, however, like in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, those who deceive, who deceive themselves, when they say, in what way have they gone against God? And that's a familiar text there in Malachi 1, 6 and 7, where God tells them what they have done, and they actually say, in what way have we have we done this? And then he tells them, and so they, <clears throat> they're still denying it over and over and over again. So we have to make sure that when we are in the reproval <clears throat> point of it, that we are showing them that, well, who sins? Well, everyone sins. I think that's right. We're showing, uh, I guess you could say, an exposing uh, of that truth. We're exposing as preachers the reality that we have to be aware of it, understand it, and uh, be warned of it. When you think about... uh, So we have seen in Malachi, for instance, there in Malachi chapter uh, 1, verses 6 and 7, how these people have clearly sinned. God has pointed out their sin, yet they say, in what way have we sinned? And so the question we're looking at as we think about reproving is who sins? Today... We're, we're looking at the, the question of who sins. And in Romans, the third chapter and verse 23, it said, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we know that each one of us has sins. If you would, take your Bibles now and turn with me to 1 John, the first chapter, and let's look at verse 8. In 1 John, the first chapter and verse 8, the Bible reads, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In John 17 and verse 17, the Bible says, Sanctify them by thy word, thy word is truth. So John tells us that each and every one of us has sin in our life, and that each and every one of us has a need of repenting. We find that in John the 13th chapter, verses 3 and 5, where it says, I tell you, nay, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Notice what is implied there. Jesus speaking, he says, I tell you, nay, Unless you repent, you shall likewise perish, saying that everyone has a need of repentance. That same thing is talked about in Acts the seventeenth chapter in verse thirty, where it says, Truly these times of ignorance God wants overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. You see the little phraseology there? All men everywhere need to repent. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Luke 13.3 Luke 13, and 5, I tell you, nay, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You see, each and every single one of us has a need to repent of sin in our lives. Therefore, each and every one of us are sinners, just as Romans 3 and verse 23 said, For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a need of repentance. We all have a need of God. We all have a need of God's word in order to know what we need to do to repent. Landon, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, you know, when it comes to this idea of uh, reproving and convincing, I think it's key to remember, as we've said again, you know, understanding our background as people. Uh, when we were created, God walked with man in the garden. And there was that relationship, there was a connection there, there was a, 
Uh, obviously, the creator is always greater than the creation, but nevertheless, there was a bond that was there where God could walk in the garden with man, mankind, Adam and Eve. But when sin crept in and sin was allowed to infiltrate, it made a separation between us and God. And when we try as preachers and as Christians, as brethren, to expound upon that reality and teach that truth, what we're trying to get across is that, listen, there's a separation when sin occurs, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. That's not based on God. It's based on us that we separate ourselves from God. And we need to get, and we try to convey that thought because there's only one way to get back to God. And that's through the removal of those sins and the removal of sin in our life. Uh, that doesn't mean we'll be perfect. We all fall short and we all, uh, continually, 1 John 1, 7, even walking in the light, need the blood of Christ, uh, which we can come in contact with as, uh, through repentance and confession. Uh, the rest of those, uh, verses there say 8, 9, and 10. But, uh, it still comes down to an understanding, uh, and a recognition of what, uh, as preachers we, why we reprove. And that's to convince that sin is real, sin is active, and sin is around, and we have to guard ourselves against it. Uh, we have to understand the responsibility that has been laid at our feet as preachers uh, to convince people that uh, when they that they do have sin and they need to get rid of that sin. So when we reprove someone or convince them they have sin, because as we have clearly seen, as Corey and Landon and I have pointed out, that uh, everyone has sinned. But we also think about next, well, well, what is sin? Well, we go to 1 John chapter 3 and, and verse 4, and the Bible says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So whoever means a Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't matter if they're saved or lost, if, they, if someone has sinned, they have broken God's law, they have sinned. And so God's laws apply to everyone. You have to remember that, the sin, the, sin, the Christian or the non-Christian. And lawlessness is breaking the law. That is breaking. So breaking the law is sin. The law is God's law and His commandments. And so, what is sin? Well, it's very clearly seen that it's going against God's law. Yet we have those today, of course, who say, "Well, it's legal to do this or legal to do that." But we have to remember, of course, that God's law uh, supersedes man's law. That is, we obey God's law uh, and we follow we follow the laws of the land so far until they contradict God's law, then, of course, we as Christians ought to follow and heed to the Word of God. And so sin is clearly going against breaking uh, God's law. I think that's pretty clear to understand from 1 John 3 and verse 4. But we also go to, for instance, uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verses 5 through 9. You have many things that are listed here, and these are just some examples uh, some sins which we can be guilty of. And we, ha we have here Paul writing those in Colossae. He says in Colossians 3, beginning of verse 5, he says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And these members he's talking about are these simple activities. He put them to death means to stop doing these things. Uh, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, he says, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these 
All these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So we have seen who sins, and now we're looking at what is sin. Well, sin can take many, many forms. And it's interesting that in verses 5 through 9, we find a few words that are what I call umbrella terms. They, they cover a lot of different things. For instance, the simple word uncleanness. Well, there's a lot of things that are unclean, that are corrupt, and they are therefore sinful. Evil desires can take many forms, and, so, and those things are therefore uh, sinful. And he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And so, Landon and Corey, when we look at what is sin, what, what comes to your mind, and what do you think of when you think about the question, what is sin? Well, the first thing I think of is the distortion of quote-unquote Christianity or Christendom, I would guess would be a better term for that, today on the definition of sin. You know, it used to be sin, as we you know, just mentioned what First John 3 points out, sin is the transgression of the law. But denominationalism has watered down the Scriptures so much and has watered down, therefore, the law of Christ, Galatians 6-2, so much, that what has happened is, is that there is no law anymore. And if there is no law, then there is no sin. You know, Paul in Romans kind of points that out. I wouldn't have known covetousness of sin, chapter 7, if, uh, if the law had not said, do not covet. And so they go hand in hand. The only way we can reprove somebody and, and reprove uh, congregations and people and convince them of sin is if we can show them, as you mentioned, what it is. And it's, it's the transgression of the law. But w it goes further than that now because people don't agree that there's even law anymore. They'll, they, you know, you can ask them and say, well, here's a famous thing we hear all the time. We're under grace now, not law. Mm -hmm. And and you just kind of shake your head and say, then there's no such thing as sin. You know, one of the things I think people forget is, uh, I haven't, I've done a lesson based on this idea, is, is uh, you know, who is grace available to in the first place? Well, it's available to those who repent and place their obedient faith in God and do His will. It's not available to the person who is just saying, who's just rebelling and saying they're going to continue doing their sin because they're under, they're under the, quote, law of grace. You know, Paul addresses that in the book of Romans. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I mean, it's pretty yeah. clear that that is not what the Bible teaches. But as you said, we have those who still are clinging to that idea. Right. You know, grace, it's been offered to everybody in the sense of everybody can contact grace, but not everybody takes hold of grace. Uh, it's still through faith. You have to be faithful. Uh, and that's before you become a child of God in becoming that. You know, Romans ten seventeen, when you study the law, it says, then you gain faith. Uh, the law being the word of God there. Uh, so when you study the word of God, which is the law of Christ, in this case, the new covenant, uh, then you gain that faith in what you need. It's impossible, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11, it's impossible to uh, uh, please God without that faith. But that faith is still based on an understanding of the law. Uh, and the expectations of God. You can't believe in Jesus and be obedient to him, Hebrews eleven six. if you don't have an understanding of that law. And uh, grace is therefore, is, is the opportunities there for everybody, but if we don't take hold of it, then it does no good. 
And to reprove means we have to get into the law. And that's another thing. People don't want to hear God's law anymore, or at least, let me change that. For a long time, it seems like that's been the case. I think it's kind of changing a little bit now. You're getting more people wanting to get, quote unquote, back to the Bible. Uh, denominationalism is dealing with this to a great extent now, where a lot of the, quote unquote, traditional denominations are losing people to these community denominations, what they are. They call themselves non-denominational, but the idea is because they're supposed to be getting back to the Bible and getting away from the creeds and the things like that. Uh, and so we have to, uh, to reprove and learn, you know, teach what sin is and, and how it destroys us and things of that nature. We have to teach law. And so there is a, a vital understanding of what sin is, you know, as we're talking about in this point here, what sin truly is. And it is that transgression of the law. You know, it's it's interesting that so many times we forget that if we just go back to the Bible, we're going to solve all the problems. Uh, the, the problem, of course, is that when we go back to the Bible, people sometimes don't like what they what they see, what they read, and right. so it creates a whole different issue for them. Well, but, we have a misunderstanding of what sin is in the world today. That we have an understanding. Well, we change what sin is. Homosexuality is just a different lifestyle. Don't judge me. Matthew seven one. Judge not lest you be judged. We have a total misunderstanding of what it is to judge with righteous judgment. John that John talks about in John seven verse twenty four, which leads to a misunderstanding of what sin is. Yeah. And the only way that we can get back to that is for people to realize. That when the Bible is saying something is wrong, it's not an individual person judging. It's not that individual person saying that's sin. It's the Bible saying it's sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that the "Don't judge me" Bible says the judge, of course, is probably I think easily you'll probably agree the most misunderstood and misquoted verse in the entire Bible. Oh, absolutely, we we totally forget and ignore the part where Christ tells us to judge with righteous judgment, and the whole "judge not" thing, as we understand, is. Judge not according to, you know, your set of standards, but judge people according to what the Bible says. You see their actions, you see their lives, and you say, well, this is what the Bible says. You make that righteous judgment. That's what Christ is talking about. But we get back to what we're looking at, what is sin, you know, and, and this is going to get into, we're pushing forward to, to rebuke here in just a few moments. And I'm trying not to take up too much Landon's time for that section, but you look at Isaiah 59, for instance, Isaiah 59 and verse 2, where the Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So we see that what is sin what is what separates us <clears throat> is what separates us from God. And you think about that, you know, I've, I've pointed this out many times in lessons before, uh, there at Ulogaz, that people sometimes think that God is the one who has walked away. Well, it's not God has walked away. It's that we put our sin between us and God, and we're actually pushing ourselves backwards from God. God's standing still, but our sin is pushing us back further and further away uh, from God. It's like putting putting your hand against the wall and you're pushing. The wall doesn't move. The wall is staying there, and you're just pushing yourself back away from it. And we allow sin to do the same thing as well. Now, uh we looked at who is sin, who sins, what is sin, and trying to pick up the pace here so Landon get into his section. And we think about uh, what are the consequences of sin. Well, for instance, let's go to uh, quickly James chapter 1 and look at verses 13 uh, through 15. 
Uh, here the Bible says, And no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth uh, to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And so we see that it is sin that brings forth death. Sin, the consequence of sin and the law of sin is very simple. You sin by law, you deserve to die under the, under the law of the Bible, the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. Uh, that's what the New Testament tells us there in the book of Romans. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, before we move on to our next point here, we're going to lead us in this thought of rebuke. Uh, what else do we want to say about reproving, convincing others of sin? Well, I think it's one. It's good to remember that it's not just a preacher's responsibility. You know, a lot of people want to put it all on the preacher's feet, and or at the preacher's feet, and try to say, well, you know, this is what a preacher ought to be doing, and I'm exonerated from having to do this to uh, people I might see in sin, that I might know in sin or dealing with something in sin, that uh, you know maybe the your, the preacher doesn't know what's going on in that person's life. It's easy to say, well, they ought to know everything, but, you know, that's it's easy to say and hard to prove. Yeah, um, because... And so, go ahead. Sometimes preachers, and anyone, I think, it's not just preachers, sometimes people can look at others and think, well, you should know this, and they kind of expect you to be mind readers. Well, of course, no one is a mind reader, so how can we always know what's going on? But nonetheless... That, that's just right. You know, I think something that we need to remember when it comes to reproving is reproof is not a bad thing. Reproof is actually a good thing. To be reproved means you are doing something wrong and you have the opportunity to change it and make it something right uh, in God's eyes. To uh, I know it can be hard to accept reproof, but it's actually something that's positive and not negative. You know that's exactly right because the whole the whole you know the whole thing behind reproof, reproving someone, convincing someone of their sin is that you want to they want they want to be saved and get out of that situation. So like you said, it's a positive thing, but we don't always view it as that. And uh, unless we have some other things we want to say, I'm gonna let Landon go on and talk about our next section. Uh, we talked about reprove, and now we're looking at rebuke. I appreciate that. Uh, looking at rebuke here. We're going to, uh, basically what I was going to look at was define the term rebuke and then get into the nitty gritty about realizing that the term actually means get a little messy. And, uh, well, as far as the term rebuke goes, we already talked about and have examined the idea of reproving being to convince, to show what sin is, get into what sin represents, uh, what it is, where it comes from and knowing it and all those kinds of things. Rebuke, on the other hand, is after you have shown what that sin is, after you have explained uh, why that is bad and why one needs to get out of it, then it's saying you are the one. Uh, I'm always reminded of Nathan and David in this situation. You know, Nathan, uh, he gives a great, you know, illustration of the uh, about the farmer, you know, and uh, stealing and David gets all mad and he's upset and. He's angry, and then thou art the man. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, whoa, you know, he, he's he's brought it upon me. 
and so rebuke, that's the idea. It's to uh, point out specifically what's going on and and that the one you're talking to is dealing with that. Just give a couple of quick definitions that I thought were interesting. Uh, Webster's defines rebuke as to criticize sharply, to reprimand. Uh, in the BDAG uh, lexicon, it says to express strong disapproval of someone, rebuke, rebuke, censor, also to speak seriously, warn in order to prevent an action or bring one to an end. Uh, so we still see that same basic idea to criticize sharply, to uh, point out uh, that thou art the one. I like what Vines uh, describes it. He says the word literally basically means to put honor upon, uh, to uh, add judge, to find fault with, rebuke hence, to charge, or rather to charge strictly. I think when you combine all those definitions, what we learn about the word rebuke is that it's very pointed. It's very uh, forward, and it is to an extent in your face. Now, that doesn't mean as Christians we know we're supposed to lovingly go to our brethren. We know we're supposed to love our enemies. Uh, we know all those things. We know we're supposed to season our words with salt. But that doesn't mean that we don't get into uh, and get really personal with people, uh, whether we're preachers, uh, whether we're elders, deacons, uh, saints. Philippians 1.1 1, 1, doesn't really matter. Uh, our responsibility in rebuking is to get very personal with somebody. Uh, we cannot, as a brotherhood, bear one another's burdens uh, and help each other when we have sinned and are in sin if we're not willing to criticize uh, sharply to and to reprimand. If we're not willing to express a strong disapproval of someone personally for what they have done, uh, that doesn't, as I mentioned, that doesn't mean it's done meanly or it's done angrily. Uh, it's done in love. But the term rebuke means once you've pointed out the sin, then you have to say, thou art the man or thou art the woman. And uh, we have a responsibility of that. Now, for some reason, you know, it kind of goes back, as mentioned earlier, yeah, a lot of people want to get into that, uh, you can't judge me nonsense, and it's really a, a shame so many have abused that text. Uh, you know, even in the same text, he says, remove your plank before you do what? Remove the uh, speck from your brother's eye, so you still have to judge your brother to see the speck. Even in the same context of that right there, go down verse 15, we have to know who a false teacher is. Uh, and so... It, People have become way too afraid of uh, judging others and misunderstanding what that term means, more sentencing than explanation of, uh, of sin. But we need to get messy when it comes to rebuke. And by that, like I said, I don't mean rude. I don't mean arrogant. I don't mean mean. But we have to sometimes uh, all a spade a spade. What do I mean by that? Well, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34... And also in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33, we see Jesus call the scribes and the Pharisees brood of vipers. Now that seems mean. Nowadays, Jesus, if he was to do that in a big stage and people nowadays were to hear him, what would they do? They would criticize him like crazy. You can't say that. You can't call people that from the pulpit. 
but nevertheless, he did. Uh, Matthew twenty three twenty seven. Uh, right before twenty three thirty three, where he calls them prudent vipers, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Um, we need to understand that sometimes rebuking means getting a little messy. Sometimes it means being very forefront. Sometimes it means being very vocal and expressing, listen, this group or this person has caused great damage to truth, to the church, uh, to whatever the case may be. Uh, I remember hearing one time the illustration of Gus Nichols. And we don't see this enough, but here's a great example of rebuking uh, and this idea of getting messy when necessary. The Max King Doctrine, also known as uh, AD-70 Doctrine, I think most people would know it as. Uh, Max King was actually at the Spiritual Lord Lectureships when a lot of this was really going on and was really starting to take hold and was really starting to spread and infiltrate a lot of uh, a lot of the church and a lot of brotherhood, a lot of people in the, uh, a lot of brethren. And so the spiritual sword, I, I never did find out whether or not they were actually, the whole lecture was on that. But nevertheless, I know Max King was actually there in attendance. And when Gus Nichols got up, he spoke on this. And he said, as he pointed to Max King, he said, you're the culprit. You're the reason for this spreading like it has. You have done this. Uh, thou art the man. And he, he put it very plainly. Uh, from what I can tell, they've known each other and known each other for a while. I think everybody knew Gus Nichols back then. Uh, they didn't have any animosity towards each other. But when it came to what he was causing, the divisions he was causing in the church and the problems he was causing, he said, you are the one. You're wrong. You're in sin. Uh, you know, modern day, when we think of those in the church, at least, uh, uh, Rubel Shelley, um, we think of, uh, uh, you know, his situation starting out so prominent. And yet there was a point where people had to start saying, listen, he's a false teacher. Uh, he's a whitewashed tomb. He's a brood of viper. Uh, or he's a, he's a viper. I mean, and, and be wary of what he has done. And, and of course we've seen the fruit of what has, takes place. But the point I'm really getting at is this. When we reprove as preachers, as elders, as deacons, saints, when we reprove and we point the sin out, we have to then go to that person and say, listen, I'm not trying to hide this and just say we agree on this point. I'm saying you're in this. And because you're in this, I love you and I don't want you to be in it anymore. And I'm not telling you this because I, I don't love you. I'm not telling you this because I'm wanting to be mean. I'm telling you that you are in this because I care for your soul. And I think that goes back to Vine's definition of the actual word when broken down uh, epi, uh, meaning upon, and then the other time, honor. That means, you know, this idea to put honor upon. Uh, I'm honoring that person and, and their soul when I tell them I love them enough to say and get messy and say, listen, you're at fault. Uh, I'm here for you. I want to help you, but you're at fault. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. For instance, you, you, you notice that Christ is, he's always, of course, loving, and I think he's, obviously, he's, he's strong when he needs to be strong, and he's gentle when he needs to be gentle. But, for instance, he always calls a duck a duck. You know, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. And a person who's in sin, 
You know, he calls, he talks to them just like they need to be talked to. Some with love and some gently, and some, of course, being Christ, recognizing very easily, of course, being the Son of God, being able to know their hearts and minds and cut right to the core. And for instance, I read about there in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. The Bible says, And he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Uh, he rebuked them because, not because they had sinned, but because they just wouldn't come out of it. And so he, he spoke very boldly uh, to them. And like you said, the, the whole whitewashed tombs thing, you see, you know, he's calling people out. You know, you sure, you, you look nice on, you know, on the outside, appear nice and, and holy and righteous to people, but on the inside, you're, you know, you're a scoundrel. You're, you're full of sin and, and hypocrisy and lies. You need to, you know, be pure inside and outside. And he talks about the, the washing of the cups and things, you know, washing not just the outside, but the inside. And how we need to do that in a spiritual sense as well. That's exactly right. You know, there's there's a time for everything. I always remember John 8, you know, the adulterous woman. Everyone wants to go there and say, well, Jesus, you know, didn't condemn her. I said, that can't be any further from the truth. One, uh, he could not stone her like they were wanting because the law did not, you know, that could only happen by the witnesses. And uh, the witnesses had to not only see it, but they had to bring both man and woman uh, who were caught in adultery uh, together. So they had broken the law since Jesus couldn't get involved with that. But nevertheless, Jesus still told her, go sin no more. Uh, he, he reproved and rebuked. He didn't say you're without sin or uh, this idea of, you know, well, situation ethics, you know, and I'm going to allow this to be okay. No, he didn't do that at all. He still reproved her, pointed out that she was sinning, rebuked her by saying, you're the one in the sin that needs to stop. But then he, he encouraged her, as we'll talk about in a moment, and said, but do it no more. And you can do it. Uh, it's possible for you to do it. Uh, so there is always that uh, really needing to know who you're talking to, to understand, is this the type of person that needs a really in-your-face type of situation? You know, I, I think of uh, Demas. Remember there where Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas, in love of this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, that is not uh, being gentle with Demas. That's not being gentle with Demas at all. And yet, he, in love, still said, listen, Demas, he's left. Uh, he loves the present world. And... Uh, it not, might not be as harsh as calling him a whitewashed tomb or a viper, uh, but nevertheless, he pointed it out. Others, he gave up to Satan, calling them out by name, Paul did. Uh, so we have to understand that there's a recognition, there's a point at which uh, we understand that as preachers in particular, and of course, Second Timothy two, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter four and verse two is dealing with uh, preachers specifically there. We got to understand preachers in particular. We not only point out sin, what it is, but we have to say sometimes, listen, for the congregation's sake, you guys are in this. This is something you have brought up. Uh, this is something you're involved with. Uh, and really let them understand that, you know, this isn't okay. This isn't all right. You have something to say about that, Corey? Yes, uh, as preachers, this is something that we need to to understand that we're not above being rebuked, That's and right. we need to have that attitude that we accept it when we're wrong. P 
Peter, an apostle, when Paul came to Galatia, he rebuked Peter to his face. Uh, Peter was another, uh, was another apostle, but he was doing something that was wrong. He was separating himself from the Gentiles. And Peter said, I withstood him to his face in Galatians, the second chapter. Uh, so we're not above it. If an apostle is not above being rebuked, then we are, as preachers, are not above being rebuked. We can be wrong. And when we see that we are, we need to accept that rebuke and change, just as anybody else would. That's exactly right. I remember I got some good advice one time uh, from an old preacher who told me, he said, Landon, he said, as you preach, there's always going to be criticism. Uh, it's just kind of the way it goes. He said, and, you know, in a lot of times, what you'll find is that it's not all totally true. Sometimes it is, and you need to listen to all of it. But he said, there's always some truth in every criticism. Whether it's the guy who loves you and is just trying to help you, or whether it's the guy who can't stand you and he's trying to stab you. He said, there's always some truth you can learn from it. Maybe it's just in how you handle it. Maybe it's just in, in how you go about uh, you know, what was said, uh, you, you, maybe you change things up a little bit here or there on your approach, but whatever the case may be, he said, there's always something that you can learn from the criticism because it, it obviously invoked that criticism. Like I said, it doesn't mean that all of it's right, but there's always some truth in there and never just dismiss criticism because of who's giving it. George, just because you're the preacher. Uh, and you don't think that you've done anything wrong, always listen to it and always try to learn from it. Uh, we we have to, as preachers, definitely be able to take what we give. Uh, if we don't, if, it's, a it's a bad sign if you're willing to reprove and rebuke the congregation, but you're not willing to take any reproof or any rebuke. It's not going to work. You can't, you can't help a congregation and that's it, it, when that's the case. You know, we think about rebuking. We sometimes think about just rebuking, uh, a, you know, sin in general. But we also have to remember that rebuking sin also means rebuking the false teachers. Uh, you know, talking with them, convincing them of their sin of teaching a false doctrine. And then we find in Princess and Titus one and verse thirteen, he says, "Therefore rebuke them sharply, that may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men, who turn from the truth." And so he makes a direct reference of how of how these uh, Jewish fables, commands of men, turn people from the truth. And so for that reason, we are to rebuke them. He says here, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And so rebuking people isn't just rebuking those who are in sin. Uh, we might say in, gener in a general sin, but we think that we think of sin also as being false teaching, because teaching things which are contrary to the Bible is indeed, without a doubt, a sin. And as he mentions also there in Titus, how the, their command to stop the mouths of those who are false teachers as well. I mean, you know, look at look what point. Paul. Go ahead, Corey. I was going to say, uh, uh, looking at the word sharply, look at what Paul said in Gal Galatians, the third chapter. Oh, you foolish Gentile Galatians! I'm sorry. Oh, you foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Sometimes it takes that sharpness to get people to think. What they're doing is wrong. That's exactly the case. And you always see, you know, one of the things I always find interesting, you always see the major, uh, the uh, you know, name calling is a strong thing. But, you know, the, the, the brood of viper, whitewash wall, that type, you know, uh, you foolish people, you always see that with what? False doctrine. 
God, God hates the one who causes division. Notice there in Proverbs 6, it's not that he just hates the division. He hates the one who causes division. Uh, and as preachers, I think for far too long in the church, especially here in America, too many preachers doing sermonette sermons are not calling out false teachers, and the congregation doesn't know uh, that a teacher's wrong. How many times, and we each have experiences with this, I'm sure, how many times have you heard one of the members or a, a Christian you know say, boy, that Max Licato, he writes good books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and they've times. never heard, yeah, they've never heard that this guy is a false teacher. Uh, and you're thinking, well, what do you mean? How do you not know that? Or, or this, you know, our, our Oklahoma Christian, uh, school, you know, our, uh, Harding, Pepperdine, uh, all these schools that are going further and further away here. Boy, those are good, sound brotherhood schools. You're thinking, you haven't heard anything on this. Uh, what are you talking about? These things, these, these schools are, they're bringing in denominational folk. Uh, their teachers aren't always members of the church. They're denominational a lot of times. I ran into that personally. I know others who have as well. Uh, Harding has a whole wall on evolution. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, you, you start looking at these things and you're thinking, why, why are people getting this? Why are people hearing this? Well, they're not called, the, the pulpit hasn't been a place where people have called out these things enough. They haven't rebuked. As Russ was talking about, they haven't truly rebuked the false doctrine of them. And because of that, we've got a lot of ignorant brethren in far too many places. You know, we also have some brethren who are going to events such as meeting in Oklahoma, as all three of us are, going to events like the Tulsa Workshop and praising the denominational preacher or speaker, I should say. And then no one, you know, we us are having to make comments about it and then, how going back, I'm sure, to the congregation where he was at that time, uh, no one's, you know, disputing what he was doing, going to be involved and surrounded by all these denominational and false teachers. And I don't understand why we'd ever want to be associated with those who are teaching things that can't be supported in the Bible. And if they won't teach the truth, they won't repent and turn back you know, and do that which is right, then why would we want to surround ourselves with, with them, with others, who are part of the denominational world here, just adding to... Uh, adding, you know, more souls to the scroll, they're going to go to eternal damnation instead of going to eternal life with God. And so uh, we have to rebuke those who uh, and convince them of the sin that's going on in some of these places. And if they won't, you know, re- realize what's going on and stop, and maybe stop attending those things, and know that, you know, when they're going into such events, you're, you're, you know, having fellowship with them and you're showing by your actions that you are condoning in our agreement with them. And when you do those types of things, then a person should be rebuked for doing those types of things. I agree agree 100%. And, uh, you know, I think a problem that we have today is we separate the sin from the person. We often say that God hates the sin, not the sinner. Mm -hmm. But when you look at uh, Proverbs, the sixth chapter, when he talks about the six things that the Lord hates, Yea, seven are abomination to him. It says a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Look how personal those things are. It says that God hates a false witness. Witness that ties the sin to the person. And often we we separate the sin away from the person and make it where the the, the sin is the horrible thing and not the attitude that's causing one to sin. 
You know, that's, that's exactly, true. That's exactly right. Now we are vastly running out of time. We have about 12 minutes left. So I'm going to uh, let Corey here make uh, talk about our last point here. That is exhortation. We looked at reprove, rebuke, and now we're looking at exhortation. So Corey, go ahead. Exhortation is probably one of the most important things talked about in the Bible. If you're out there listening to this and you have a Bible with you, open up to Second Timothy, the fourth chapter. And I know Second Timothy 4 and verse 2 is where we're focusing on today, but let's read Second Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heat to the, up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Notice something here. Paul is doing the exact thing that he's telling Timothy to do. He is convincing Timothy. He is rebuking Timothy. He is exhorting Timothy. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You see, we have a responsibility to do all three of these things, but we have a responsibility to preach the truth. We have a ex- responsibility to exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and that time is here today. That time is upon us. People do not want to hear the truth. That is why it is so important that they do hear the truth. John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And if you look at 2 Thessalonians 2, and look at 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 9, it says, because they have not a love of the truth, I will send them strong delusions that they might believe a lie. You see, loving the truth is one of the most important things that we can do. Because if we don't, we're going to deceive ourselves. We're going to be deceived by it. So we have to listen to the people that are exhorting us. But exhorting is more than just preaching. Exhorting is preaching the truth. Exhorting is preaching the truth. You cannot exhort somebody without telling them the truth. If we're trying to exhort with a lie, then we're not helping them. And one of the definitions, if you look at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of exhort, has to do with helping the person. What you're teaching them, what you're exhorting them to do is for their own good. It's for their good. That's what we have to be concerned with. What is for their own good? When you look back at Second Timothy 2, 1 through 5, you see what Paul is doing is for the good of Timothy. He is rebuking Timothy for his good. He is convincing Timothy for his good. He is exhorting Timothy to keep doing what he is doing, to preach God's word for his good. And that's what we have to do. 
we have to exhort people to be faithful. Turn over with me to Titus, the second chapter in verse 15. Titus, the second chapter, verse 15. And we're going to read Titus 2, 14 and 15. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. This is Paul telling Titus to do exactly what he told Timothy to do. He says, speak these things, exhort them, rebuke them with all authority. You see, we got to know where our authority is from, though. We have to understand that our authority only comes from the Bible. Colossians 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. That's where we have to have our authority. We have to have authority for exhorting people. We have to have authority for teaching people. And our teaching people, the authority is God's word. Is God's word. If we don't have God's word behind us, we cannot exhort people for their own good. You know, I think about Hebrews chapter 3 and verse uh, 12 and 13. This is actually uh, the, the key verse for, I'm going to plug one of Bill God's programs here, for our podcast exhortations. But it fits in what we're talking about here in Hebrews 3 verses 12 and 13. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. So we're encouraged to encourage our brethren to live a life that's pleasing to God. And the reason for that we find in verse 12, <clears throat> he says, Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So to help keep one another close to God, we need to exhort, that is, we need to encourage one another. And he says there in verse 13 to do so daily while it's called today. And so we definitely need to encourage one another and encourage one another to stick with the truth. You know, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Well, he's looking him in the face because he's talking to Christ. He's the source of all truth. And so John, I believe it's John 17, 17, uh, he says, thy word is truth. And so we need to stick with that and encourage one another and that we can uh, depart from an evil heart of unbelief. We can depart from sin and we can grow closer to God and grow closer to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, as uh, in Second Timothy, therefore, too, as we've been looking at this, I always try to point out a preacher's responsibility is twice negative, once encouraging. You know, reprove, rebuke, negative, uh, exhort is the encouragement. But with that being said, that doesn't mean the encouragement side of it is less important, as you pointed out. We have just as much responsibility uh, to encourage as we do reprove and exhort. And a good example of that is just looking at uh, the Bible and seeing how many times these words are used. In the Greek, the word reproof is found 17 times. Rebuke is found 29 times. And uh, exhort here is found 109 times. Uh, so we see very quickly there and we see very uh, succinctly there that there is that uh, understanding that though it is one of three in this case, we can uh, still, or we need to make sure we put a great emphasis on, after we have reproved and rebuked, we spend just as much time exhorting and building up and showing that, hey, uh, this is important for you to overcome and you can do it. 
the, with the word of God and truth, you can overcome this sin. You know, we think about uh, what we talked about here today with the time we have left, uh, reproving, rebuking, exhorting. Uh, these are things that are not easy because it's not, and it's not fun to, t- to convince someone that they're in sin uh, because you can see their expression change and sometimes their reaction may not be what you would hope for. Uh, rebuking someone, of course, I mean, that's no one who's brother uh, in Christ really enjoy. <laughs> no one's going to enjoy rebuking someone. Uh, not. And so, yeah. And so, and exhorting, of course, that's a little bit better, but when you're exhorting someone to stay out of sin, that still isn't easy. And so these things are not things that are to be taken lightly. They are tasks that can be very difficult, but they are tasks that are necessary to help keep the church whole, help keep the church pure, and help uh, all of us, the Lord willing, one day to have heaven as our home so long as we are following God. And so for that reason, if we're going to have heaven as our home, we have to be willing to be listen to listen when we are reproved, when we are rebuked, and be willing to repent and obey, and listen to the encouragement to to do those things, to recognize our sin, to repent of our sins, so we can again be right in the sight of God. You know, we find there, and uh, believe it's in First John, we read that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and forgive us of all unrighteousness, and so. Uh, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So when we do those things, we can be right in the sight of God. Now I'm going to give uh, Landon and Corey just a minute or two to wrap up any comments they have, and then we'll we'll have used all of our time for today. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's been fun doing this, and I look forward to the weeks to come. Uh, I just want to encourage each of uh, you, Russ and, and Corey, and all those that are listening, to not only make sure you're willing to repute reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but to take reproving, rebuking, and exhortation in your life as well. And uh, stand up for God and His righteousness is true. Stand up for Him. Thank you for having me today, and I look forward to working with you in the future on this program, Open That Bible. And I think the name of the show is exactly what we're trying to encourage people to do. If you have questions... Open that Bible because that's where your questions will be answered. Your second Timothy right. two verse fifteen says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that is the most important thing that we can do is be approved by God. It's about going to heaven. Let's remember that and when we remember that we will remember that we all need to be convinced we all need to be rebuked and we all need to be exhorted we thank you for listening today this program was will be also be available on the on-demand section on the gospel radio network uh, org website and as well as the illegal radio page on itunes and on the illegal radio stream on the TuneIn app this is a three-pronged evangelistic and exhortation effort of the Church of the Christ in Ramona, Hollis, and Uloga, Oklahoma. And we encourage you to tell others about us. We hope you'll join us again next week here on Open That Bible. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.